Welcome to the Advent Houston podcast. At Advent, our mission is to embrace, embody, and extend the grace of Jesus Christ to the Texas Medical Center, Rice University, and the surrounding neighborhood. We're glad that you're here with us today. Through this Advent season, as we're doing Uh, a sermon series that we're calling Rend the Heavens and Come Down. Um, We're looking at uh, the different lectionary readings of Isaiah. Now, um, I talked a little bit about what what the lectionary is. Um, the lectionary is is a schedule of scripture readings um, that are kind of throughout the Bible, uh, where every week there is an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, there's a Psalm reading, and there's a, a gospel reading, and they're designed on like a three year rotation where every year the entire an entire synoptic gospel, meaning Matthew, Mark, or Luke, is read, and then John is interspersed throughout all of them. But the point of why we're doing this is that the readings are actually organized thematically based upon the church calendar and the season. And so it works really well uh, for us as we're thinking about longing for the Lord to come again, um, to look at these Isaiah passages that were, that were compiled um, by the church to look at. And so that's what we're going to be doing is looking at these passages. Um, and, uh, and particularly last week we were in Isaiah 64. This week we're going to be in Isaiah 40. But before we turn there, um, a little bit of background on the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah is one of the prophets of the southern kingdom of Israel. Um, and I'm going to do just a, a super brief uh, like church history or history uh, of, of, uh, of, of Israel from Egypt up until the exile. But basically, God gathers the people together out of the family of Abraham. They go into Egypt. They grow really big. The Lord delivers them out of Egypt and gives them the promised land. And as they are in the promised land, they want um, uh, the Lord is supposed to be their king. But they want um, to live as they want to live. And, and it says, as a regular refrain in one of the books, the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Right? And so they deteriorate. They deteriorate. And they're at war with many of their enemies that are surrounding them. And so they want to get a king just like their neighbors because they want to have somebody that can actually help them and defend them. They don't trust the Lord to do that. So they pick the wrong king, right? They pick the handsome, beautiful, tall, I mean, you know, just like me. Um, uh, uh, I'm totally joking. Um, but uh, they pick Saul when what the Lord was wanting was for a king that was after his own heart, King David, right? And then, so, they, so the Lord picks King David and things are good. But within a couple generations, they start going bad again. Right? And at that point, the whole kingdom of Israel separates. There's the northern kingdom and there's the southern kingdom, right? which Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. Now, the northern kingdom deteriorates even faster. Um, and the Assyrians around the 8th century come and they conquer the northern kingdom and they exile God's people out of the land. But it takes a little bit longer for the southern kingdom to deteriorate. Um, And so Isaiah is a prophet unto the southern kingdom that is in the midst of that deterioration. And he is a prophet that the Lord has sent to tell them to repent, 
to pay attention because this is what is going to happen if you continue to live this way. And so that's one aspect of the book of Isaiah, but there's also a second part, not just the prophetic telling of the fact that they will go into exile, but also the prophetic um, hope and comfort that will come one day. Right? And so that's the part that we're going to be looking at um, in the book of Isaiah where it begins to turn and to talk about that future hope and actually that hope that is still even in our future as well. So with that in mind, um, uh, we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. I think uh, it's yeah, page 561 um, if you want to turn uh, with me in the Pew Bibles as well. But this is Isaiah Chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. We're going to end a little differently than we normally do. And that is we're going to repeat verse 8 here. And I'm going to say the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Would you all pray with me? Our Father, we are grateful that your word stands forever. Though um, the words that we utter, the the promises we make, um, the people we are fade away, you are forever. And so, Father, we pray that we would consider your word, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, when I was um, eight years old, uh, I was about a month or so from turning nine. Um, my my older sister had been going for a long time to a summer camp, a sleepaway camp in New Mexico called Cimarron Cita. Um, she loved it so much, she would go for six weeks at a time. And so uh, because she had loved it so much, my parents thought, well, you know what? The, 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 I'm going to send my kids with cousins. It's going to be great. They, we're going to have a three-week kind of vacation from all of the children. We'll send uh, my kids on up to Cimarron Cita. And, uh, and so I went up there uh, as, as a young kid. And um, 
I, I flew. Uh, there was a few of us from Houston that all flew together. And if you flew, uh, they sent like kind of a counselor down to fly with us on Southwest um, to get into Albuquerque or Santa Fe. I can't remember which one. And then to drive on up from there. And so when we got to the camp, everybody who was there for the three weeks who flew got there earlier than the people who drove. And it was just us plus the six-weekers, right? The point being, most of the six-weekers are older. They're seasoned veterans at this point. They're hard-hearted veterans of the camp at this point. And, um, and the opening activity that they invited us all into was a water war. And I was very excited about this, right? Imagine playing paintball. I don't know how many of y'all have ever been on a paintball course, um, but but with water, with water balloons and uh, super soakers, you know, if y'all remember super soakers and things along those lines. So I was ready. I had my, my super soaker. I had a water balloon. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking ahead here. If I wear a bathing suit, it's not going to be that bad if I get wet. So I went and put my bathing suit on as well. And I'm standing there and I'm ready. I'm by one of the cabins. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a 14-year-old kid who had one of those like, you know, hot dog balloons, you know what I'm talking about, the really big ones, filled with water. He took it over and just slammed it on top of my head and then immediately pantsed me, right? Um, it was the most humiliating and awful moment that I think I had experienced in my life up to that point. Um, and all I could think at that point was, I want to go home. I'm done. <laughs> I want to go home. And in fact, actually, you know, uh, I, I couldn't. But for the next, I think, day and a half where I continued to wear the bathing suit, I wore it so tight that it began to cut my skin. Um, but here's my point, And this is kind of an extreme example. Um, but think back to your own life where something uh, felt like it had gone terribly wrong. Right. When you felt totally and utterly alone. And all you could think in that moment was, I want to go home, right? Um, maybe home wasn't that safe place for you all. And I, that is something I totally understand. But at least in those circumstances, perhaps you can identify with that feeling of, I need a hug. I need a hug from someone I love and is trustworthy. It's the same thing. Right? To some extent, that is often what life begins to feel like. Right? The older we get, the more experiences that we have where we have been uh, slapped over the top of the head with a water balloon and pantsed in front of everyone, right? where all we want to do is just go home. We feel alone, we feel humiliated, hurt, we feel in anguish, and we just want some sense of comfort. Right? And that is what we're looking at together this morning. Right? How is God going to bring comfort to His people his people who have been kicked out of their land, right? And his people who are living, uh, um, who are living in Babylon, right? So they're in exile, meaning they've been taken from their home and brought out of Israel. And they're away from their one true God. And they've been conquered by their enemies, right? What is their comfort? All they want to do is go home. And as we look together at this passage, I want to pay attention to three different parts, and this is a little bit uh, alliterative, so hopefully it's easier to remember. Um, and that is that there is the, the preparation that's talked about in this passage, the promise, and then the proclamation. So preparation, promise, 
and proclamation. Um, first, the preparation. Right, though God's people have been exiled, and though God's people are in anguish, the Lord is with them and offering His comfort. Right, at the very beginning, the Lord speaks comfort to them. Right? Verse 2 is a declaration that God's people have been forgiven. And though they have been in rebellion against God, they're forgiven, they're restored, right? they're pardoned. And so God in His mercy no longer holds that rebellion against Him, no longer holds that spiraling downward of not wanting Him to be their King and to do it all themselves. Here it's saying He forgives them. He wants them back. And so Isaiah says to them in verse 3, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Um, now, I know in this congregation, we have, a lot, uh, we have a lot of runners, and many of you are planning on running the Houston Marathon, which is probably the greatest marathon to run because it's utterly flat, and it's in February, right? Um, and so the times end up being really good. But um, a marathon is, is, a mar- is hard enough, but one of the hardest marathons I think I've ever heard of is the marathon that goes from the bottom to the top of Pikes Peak um, in Colorado Springs back down. In addition to running the usual length of a marathon, you gain 7,300 feet of elevation, and then you come back down. Right? Um, so the incline and the decline of the race are what make it far more challenging, not to mention hurting your knees all along the way. But here's the point. To make the path straight in the wilderness is not just to smooth out the curves or straighten the run or straighten the turns. Excuse me. The next few verses talk about lifting up the valleys right, and dropping down the mountains, lowering the mountains. Isaiah is describing this shifting of the earth to make it flat and straight. He's describing the way in which an emperor would come to visit Right? An ambassador would go out and prepare the way for this king's uh, return to his people, um, or for, uh, you know, they, he would smooth out the potholes and the path, preparing the people for the visit. Isaiah's, here, Isaiah's words here are a comfort because they are promised, they are a promise that the king of kings is going to return, right? that God is going to be together with his people. All obstacles are removed. So that he can be with them. Every barrier that existed before is taken away. Right? That means that every temptation, every idol, every barrier that kept them from God was to be removed. And it isn't entirely clear which side, meaning whether it's coming from God or whether it's coming from man, right? Um, which side is doing the removing here? removing the things that are keeping us from him. And I think that that's actually part of the point. That it's a little bit, it's both of us. Where we are to remove the things in our life that we love more than him. The things that distract us and our hearts from him. Right? So making the path straight is, um, is making changes to our lives and turning toward him again. But also it is the Lord himself in love and in care helping us to remove those very things, right? Those things that are challenging in our lives that we might um, not be able to be with him. And so God's people are to prepare for his visit. 
Right now, imagine that soon you're going to come face to face with the Lord. Right, and if that's true, how will He find us? How will He find? Um, how will He find His church? Right, living in righteousness and love and community. And don't get me wrong; I think God has been utterly gracious to us as at, at Advent, um, where I think that we have many of those elements here. But even in light of that, it's easy to begin to distance ourselves from other churches. Be like, well, they're not doing it right. To cut ourselves off from the other brothers and sisters in Christ and to think that we're the real ones and they're not. Right? And if I'm honest and I simply look in the mirror, then sometimes I'm afraid that kind of in addition to righteousness and love and community, if the Lord were to arrive today... Right? And to be a part of what we're doing, he would find us either kind of self-righteous or right, thinking um, that what we're doing, um, you know, if, if, if self-righteous thinking what we're doing is right or thinking that we're utterly uninterested. Right? Like, oh, cool, God's here. I'm going to go back to what I was doing. Right? That we're far more interested in elements like the politics of the world power and wealth of our world or the influence and comfort that the world has to offer. Right? We're called to make our path straight because he's made his path straight to come to us. And I hesitate to say some of those things because as I say that, a lot of the times when these types of, uh, of messages are preached, what we hear is, all right, I hear you, pastor. I'm going to get to fixing it. Right? I'm going to lower my mountains. I'm going to raise my valleys. I'm going to make the path straight in my life, and I'm going to fix it. Right? Um, and I understand that impulse because that's mine as well. Right? We think that, okay, well, the Lord is going to return to be with us is a whole lot like Santa Claus is coming to town, right? where it says, you, know, you better watch out. You better not pout. You better not cry. He knows if you've been bad or good. You better be good because when you come face to face with Santa, if you're going to get anything good, it's, it's, it's because you were good. Right? That is categorically not good news um, if you are like me. Right? Um, whether or not he comes or whether or not he gives us comfort is not dependent upon our good deeds. His coming, his comfort depends solely upon his goodness he is coming. He has forgiven iniquities of all who trust in him. That means that whether we've been bad or good, he has forgiven you. Um, making our paths straight is not about justification. Right? Being made right with God, though. Right? It's not about how we gain forgiveness. It's more about how we unite with him. And be more with him. Right? Um, the Bible uses a, a, a very kind of theologically rich word to describe that. That is what we call sanctification. How we grow into his likeness. Not how we're made right with him, but how we become more and more like him. He has made it possible for us to, to be with him through his justification. And he is at work alongside of us to grow together with him. So the good news of Jesus is that in him, not only are our sins forgiven, but by him and through him, his, through his spirit, he is at work within us. So we're not left on our own to just get it right, to remove the mountains and the valleys all on our own. Right? 
And so what is it in your life that we need to remove? Right? What is it in my life that we need to remove? It may be addiction. It may be behavior. It may be a character flaw. And in this group, I would imagine that whatever it is right, that's getting in the way, that it's probably a good thing, a good gift of God's creation, right? Something that God declared good that we have made utterly good or utterly important in our life instead of Him, right? Something like our career, our relationships, our families, our home. To make our path straight is not, oh, sorry, excuse me, um, to make our path straight is to make sure that there is nothing between you and Him. No mountains, no valleys, nothing good, nothing bad. So pray about those things. Right? Ask God to help you see them. Ask Him to help you to make your paths straight. You can't do it, but you can ask Him who will and is helping you to do it. The reason that you should ask Him is because He is coming and because His promises are true. I said, right, so now the promise now imagine again that you're in that lonely place and you just want to go home. Right? You just want to be comforted. Imagine that you hear that the one that you love, the one that you need is coming. Right? And your natural reaction is to say, how can I be sure? Right? What, what guarantee is there that that's actually going to be true? How do I know that? Well, the answer is whatever you are most sure of in your life is a big question mark compared to the assurance that we have here. Essentially, your own lives, everything about you, everything about me, is like the flowers of the field. With the seasons, the rain comes, um, it dies, uh, the, the rain stops, the flowers die, it comes and it goes, but God's promises are nothing like the lives of, of the grass or the flowers. God's promises are true. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. His promises never fade. No power of hell, no scheme of man, nothing can get in the way of his promises of what he has declared for us. Um, And so while this promise was given to God's people in exile, this promise is true for us as well. The king is coming. How do we know? Because he promises. And we have a whole lot of history to look back and to say, this is how he has been before. And he promises that he will be it and do it again. Be comforted because these promises are true. And hear the proclamation that he has for us at the end. The king is coming, as I said. And when he comes, these last few verses tell us that he will rule. Right? Unlike the state of our world, right, where there is no good king um, and everyone is kind of doing what is right in our own eyes anyways. A true king is coming. One who's going to set everything right. But what we see in this week's passage is that there is a new element to the promise. Not just is he going to rule and set everything right, but he is going to shepherd us as well. He will care for you and me. He will be with you and me. The coming king not only rules well, but he shepherds well. He is the good shepherd, as it says in the New Testament, as in the Gospels. He cares for, he leads, and he feeds his sheep. He comforts them. He brings us home. He looks after his people. 
and He looks after you and me. Right? He provides for you and me. He cares deeply about you and me. And He, promise us, he promises us Himself. So, when you feel distant from the Lord, when you see the mountains or the valleys blocking your view of Him, take comfort that the glory of the Lord will be revealed. The things of the world in which we place our hope, the things we look to for comfort and assurance, they are like the grass of the field. They will wither away and soon. But our God is the good shepherd, the mighty king, the one who is coming again to be with you, bringing good news. I behold your God. So let me, let me conclude with this. Um, what is our comfort when what we long for is to go home again? Right? There's a temptation to want the things that Jesus offers us without wanting him himself. And my point is this. Our comfort actually isn't home. While I ended up actually having a pretty good time at camp, um, you know, my true comfort came not when we went home. Right? In fact, actually, uh, my family went to vacation afterwards in New Mexico and in Colorado. Right? My comfort came when my parents arrived at camp, right? when I got to be with them again. The point is that it isn't the place, it isn't home that provides the comfort and safety. I was comforted and I was safe when they got there. And that is what we long for. Not the home that the Lord Jesus will provide, but Him that He provides as He comes, as He comes again to be with us. Right? Um, and so let's long for that. Let's long for Him. And say again and again as we have already today, come again, Lord Jesus. We long to be with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you um, that you do promise to come again and that your promises are yes and amen, that they are sure and they are true. And so, Lord, as we try maybe even on our own to fix ourselves up before coming to you, let us be reminded that you have made your way to us, that you offer yourself us. And that that is our true comfort in no matter what it is that we are going through. No matter what type of anguish and pain or sadness and fear that we're experiencing. Let us find our hope in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.